Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I guess we can blame, if we're going to blame anybody for it, a guy named Bob Vila. You remember Bob Vila? This old house, right? Used to come on PBS, you could pick up Bob Vila when we only had four channels. CBS, ABC, NBC, and PBS. It's amazing. We always found something to watch on TV, even though we only had four channels. And one of those channels had Bob Vila on it, and he had a show called This Old House. And he would take houses, and he would take houses that needed some repair or needed some updating or, or bringing into to, today, and he would go in and fix it up with his band of carpenters and handymen and repairmen. And that seemed to be good and well, and that went on for a while, and there were others here and there, but really uh, it kind of was just a normal little thing until a show called Trading Spaces hit the air. Trading Spaces, many of you are probably familiar with, some of you may not be, but it's a, it's a show about two neighbors swapping houses and redecorating a room in each other's house. How many of you have watched Trading Spaces? Let me see your hand. How many of you would let your neighbor walk into your house and do whatever they wanted to it? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's why you like watching it, because it's not your house, right? And so you went from Trading Spaces to Extreme Makeover Home Edition. You've got shows like Dream House, Tupel Diva, Flip This House, Design on a Dime, Curb Appeal. You've got stations like DIY, Do-It-Yourself, HGTV, Home and Garden Television. And everywhere you look are shows on about redoing or improving your house. And I began this week as I was thinking about this series of sermons that I'm going to do to ask myself the question, why do people watch that stuff? Why do you watch somebody else work on somebody else's house? I mean, you think about it, it's kind of crazy. It's not something most of us would enjoy doing around our own house. And if somebody's at our house, we're not going to sit around and watch them do it, but we'll sit and watch somebody work on somebody else's house. And this is part of what I came to understand and to think about. Is the reason that we watch those shows is because we all have something in our own house that we think could use a little improvement. And it's a little fascinating for us to play the make-believe kind of thing about what if I could do anything with my house, what would I do? We look at those shows and we see them do something and we get an idea and we think, well, maybe I could do that. Well, really, I can't, but at least I got to see them do it. And as we watch it, we see the houses improve. We moved into a house just a a few weeks ago now. and, And part of... Uh, being in a house, living in a house, owning a house is that the things that you walk around and look at, you'll see little things that you say, I can't wait till I can fix that. Or I can do something with this. You can walk around. Uh, part of the interesting thing about us looking for a house, when we looked for four or five months at houses, we'd walk in a house, and instead of just looking at the house, we would run through our mind, well, we could buy the house, and then we could do this and this and this, and fix this and that. And we always are looking to improve. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about home improvement, but we're going to talk about it in a different sort of way. Because just as we can look at 
our physical house and see if there are some things that we wish we could improve about it. The truth is most of us would look at our own families and think there's some improvement we could do in our own families. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about doing some home improvement around the house. Now here's why that's necessary. A Harris poll in the late 90s went to college campuses and asked college campus kids what were the keys to success. They didn't go to Christian campuses. They didn't go uh, to, to the campuses to find people that were trying to live for Jesus or trying to live by what the Bible says. They just went to campuses all over the country. And in the Harris poll in the late 1990s, 97% of the kids in college said that a close-knit family was the most important indicator of success. 97%. Here's what's interesting about that is they did the same poll in the late 1980s. And what they found is that it rose 15% from the late 1980s to the late 1990s. While that rose, divorce rates and families that were considered healthier or close-knit was sharply declining. Another research study shows that 25% of families are today considered families where the mom and the dad are living together and the children in the house are their children. It's an interesting thing that has happened in our society. 60% of people live together before they ever get married. And Christians aren't immune. In fact, recent research shows that the divorce rate among Christians is slightly higher than the general population. Now here's why that's important. It's because when you look at what's happening in the lives of our children, the ten most devastating things that can happen to children, or children can be involved in, things like poverty, violence, felony, depression, promiscuity, gang involvement, suicide, drug use, sexual abuse. If you look at those ten things, the number one predictor for all of those things is a broken home, or more specifically, a fatherless environment. It's important stuff. We should have known this from the beginning. On your handout and on the screen is a verse of Scripture that says that unless God builds the house, its builders labor over it in vain. Yesterday, my, I mentioned my father was in. He was in for his, his birthday. was Friday. But then he stayed over. And yesterday morning, I did not mulch. My dad had a weekend he could come up, and we were putting together my boy's swing set. Now, here's the thing. We put that swing set together two years ago. We put that swing set together two years ago in 102-degree heat. Yesterday, it was, I think, 12 or 13 when we started. I said, next time, let's try to hit the middle somewhere, 60, 70. And when we put it together two years ago, we got it together, and it was Amazing. Looked good. All the wood was in the right places. All the brackets were on the right thing. Eli got out there and for two minutes, because it was 102 degrees, played hard on it. And then wanted to go back inside. Yesterday we got it out. And some of our labor looked like it had been in vain. Boards didn't look quite as nice. A couple of brackets went missing. Apparently someone decided in Ripley where we left it for part of the time until we had a house that they needed to take the slide off for some reason and take the bolts with it. There's wood that's separated and part of me thought, you know what? 
we put a lot of work into this, and two years later, it doesn't look near as good. And Scripture says if you put things into it, if you build it, if you build a house, if you build on what God wants to do and you do it without God's help, then what you're doing is you are building in vain. And what we have in America is a lot of homes that have been built in vain without the help of God. Now let me just say before we get going this morning that I realize that there may not be a subject that I could speak on that could get me in more trouble than the subject on which I'm going to speak today. And here's the reason. It's because I know that in this congregation, among a lot of people that are seeking God, that are going after God, that there is a wide variety of family types here. And while we could talk about the validity of certain family types, and I understand God's reclamation projects, and I understand God bringing things out of, uh, good things out of bad situations, the truth is what we're going to talk about is that God has a blueprint, a plan for our improving our homes in order that we might live as He called us to live. And in doing that, I might be like the guy that just couldn't say anything right. I heard about this guy that was working in a grocery store. As he's working in the grocery store one day, this lady came up to him and said she needed half a head of lettuce. And he said, we don't sell half a head of lettuce. We sell a whole head of lettuce. She said, I don't need a whole head of lettuce. I need half a head of lettuce. And he said, we don't sell it. She said, I need it. We don't sell it. The customer's always right. I need it. I need a half a head of lettuce. He got upset. He took a thing of lettuce. He went in the back. He took out a big knife. And he just split it right down the middle. His manager was in the back room. What in the world are you doing? He said, there is this crazy woman outside that wants half a head of lettuce. About that time, he realized someone was standing over his shoulder. He gently turned around and noticed it was the woman that wanted the half a head of lettuce. As quickly as he could, and he said, and I'm going to give the other half to this beautiful woman standing behind me. Well, the, uh, the manager thought, boy, that was quick. And so the next day he, uh, he comes in and he says, listen, I just got to ask you, how'd you come up with that so quick? And he said, well, I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He said, wow, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He goes, yeah, you know, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the home of great hockey teams and ugly women. And the manager says, you know, my wife is from Lancaster, <laughs> Pennsylvania. And he said, and exactly what hockey team did she play on? <laughs> the truth is, I could get in a lot of trouble here. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to stick to what Scripture says. And we're going to talk about how to improve our homes. Now, if you're here today and you're married, today we're going to talk about marriage in high definition. And this is going to be an important sermon for you to listen to and to think to take it to the next level. If you're here today and when you would like to be married someday... This is an important one to hear about and think about what a marriage ought to look like. In fact, if you want to be honest about it, the things we're going to talk about this week, the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, are things that could be applied in any relationship you have. We're going to specifically talk about marriage applications, but they could be in any relationship you have. Today we're going to talk about doing marriage in high definition. You know, high definition is all the rage now, isn't it? Anytime he starts a home improvement project, a lot of people start with how they can make an entertainment center. 
If you look on the shows, people are sometimes looking for ways to include the latest and the greatest in technology, and they want to put in there always a high-definition television. One with better picture quality, one with better clarity, one that's clearer, one that shows you more. I remember a night just about a year and a half ago. Susan and the boys were with her parents. They were in Gatlinburg on a mini-vacation. I was in Ripley. A friend of mine, his wife and his daughter had gone on a trip, and he says, you want to come over and watch the game? He had just redone an entertainment room. I sat down on the couch. He turned on Monday Night Football. I didn't like either team that was playing. But all I remember is, as soon as the picture came into view of a player on the field, it was snowing in Denver. And as the snowflakes fell, I could see individual snowflakes. I want to tell you something. I did not know until that moment that I ever needed to see individual snowflakes. But I do. As they got ready to go, one of the guys took the helmet off and you could see beads of sweat even in that cold place coming down his face. I did not know I needed to see beads of sweat, but I do. It was a high definition television. That night, I only stayed for the first half. I went back to my house. I sat in the recliner. I turned on my SD television, my standard definition. I couldn't even watch the game. I was missing way too much. I was missing the individual snowflakes. I was missing the sweat coming down the brow. I was missing the extra inch or two on the television of the field that I could no longer see. I was missing the individual blades of grass. The game was still the same, but it just didn't look right. And I realized I had been missing some things all along. You see, for years people had standard definition television and didn't think they were missing anything, right? Until HD came along. And now people are going out to get it because they're missing something they've got to have. This morning what I want to talk about is the fact that we all need to get a better, clearer picture of what God intends for marriage. And the truth is some of us in this room have great SD marriages. Standard definition marriages. When the world looks at us, that what they see is what they think it is all to be a marriage all about. But when you look into God's Word, we aren't living a high definition marriage. You know the thing that's interesting about high definition is if you go into somewhere like Walmart or something and you're way far away and they've got all those screens plastered up or Best Buy or CompUSA or any of those stores, they don't look that different than what's hanging or sitting in your room. The farther away you are, the less you can tell any difference. But the closer you get is when you see the detail. And the truth is, some of us in this room may have some marriages that look great from a distance. Everybody looks around, boy, they've got a great man. That's man. Well, I wish our marriage was like that. I wish our family was like that. But the truth is, the closer you get, you realize it's not as clear. And so we're going to talk about what a high definition is. Marriage looks like. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. This would be considered one of the most controversial passages of Scripture in all of Scripture. And we're not going to deal with the controversy today. 
We'll do that some other day. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing her with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must Respect her husband. Here's the first thing that we see. If we're going to have a high-definition marriage, then we must have high-definition love. If we're going to have a high-definition marriage, God's picture includes high-definition love. Now, there are all kinds of definitions out there of what love is. There are all kinds of definitions out there of what love could be. And if you want to know the honesty about it, most definitions of love are conditional. If she will do this, then I will love her. If he will be like this, then I will love her. If if the person will do this, then I will love that person with everything I have until they do something that I don't like. Scripture teaches us that love is not like that, but the world tells us that love is a feeling. Love is something you, you, just, you just feel inside. You can hear it in the way that we throw the word love around. I love my car. I love pizza. I love that show. I love a high-definition television, whatever it might be. But love is one of those things that is very difficult to define. This morning, I want you to get a picture of what some people try to do to define love. And I've got a video for you to watch of what some people define as love. Love is something like a heart, makes you hyper. It's too hard to say when you, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. I don't know. But it's crazy. My mom and my dad. My family. My friends. Sleep. I love my dog. Catfish. My house. Strawberry pie. My church. My brothers. The Xbox. Basketball. I love my sister Disney World. <laughs> my mom and dad. And Noah. Babies. Jesus. Uh, Wheel of Fortune. Well, I'm not going to say I'm just going to spell it K-I-S-S. <laughs> I'm going to give them movies. Grill-up movies. More grown-up movies. Be nice to them and, like, be sweet to them. Care a lot. Grown-up hats. 
You know, the truth is, if we try to define it by the way the world does, those kids do as good of a job as anybody, right? But God has a definition of love that we need to investigate. Look throughout verses 25 and following, and you'll see one word that comes up over and over and over again. And it's simply the word love. Husbands, love your wives. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. You ought to love your wife just as you love yourself. He goes to the end in verse 32 and 33, the profound mystery. Each of you must love his wife. Now, this is a command to husbands, but it's also a part of what makes marriage run. And that is high definition love. Let's talk about it. In Scripture, there are four words used to describe love. And on your handout today, there's a nice picture there, isn't it? Beautiful home. I know it looks like home plate, but it's home. If you want to, you can draw a line and a door and a window if it makes you feel better about it. But what we're doing is we're going to talk about how these definitions of love help us to build what we ought to be doing in our families. And the one that is the foundation, the most important, the one at the bottom, is the love called agape love. Now you've probably heard that word before. But in Scripture, agape means unconditional. And throughout Scripture, it talks about the covenant relationship between God and His people. And this is what God basically says is that I'm going to fulfill my end of the covenant. I'm going to fulfill my end of love. I'm going to love you no matter what happens. It's not conditional in the sense that I'm only going to love you if. It's unconditional. It's not related to performance. Someone has said that agape love is commitment on steroids. It is the kind of love that says, no matter what, I'm here. And that is the foundation of what we ought to do in marriage. Part of the reason that marriages have a difficult time today is because people go into the marriages not saying, I'm going to be with this person until the day that I die, until one of us shall die. They go in saying, I'm going to stay with this person as long as I want. I heard about a marriage ceremony where one of the vows was uh, that they would stay together as long as their love shall last. That's not agape love. That is not the love that God intends for us to have. Now, beside that, on one of the walls is phileo love. This is the word that we get the city Philadelphia from. The city of brotherly love. And it does mean kind of brotherly love, but that's kind of a, a strange term. It's more like friendship love. This is being able to talk with someone, having a, a best friend, a companion, being able to share things together. Susan and I, before we were officially dating, were great friends. In fact, we hung out a lot. We were great friends. And people sometimes at school would joke about the fact that, yeah, sure, you're just friends. Well, we were just friends. Now, there came a point in our relationship when we felt God kind of moving us in a different direction and we began to investigate our future together. But one of the things I am thankful for to this day is before we ever fell in love, we were friends. And then when we sit around the table and we have conversation, when we sit down at night, when our 
those rare occasions when our boys decide it's okay to go to bed early and we get a chance just to talk, that I talk to my best friend. That's what phileo love is. Now, you have to have that. If you want a marriage to succeed, not only do you need agape, unconditional love, but you have to have phileo. You have to be able to enjoy things together. You have to be able to watch things together, to go to events together, to have activities together, to have conversation together. That's important. The other side of the, the wall is eros love. Now, our world has taken this and turned it into something that is not wholesome and pure, but in Scripture it talks about this not as a bad thing. This is the passionate side of love. This is the ooey-gooey feeling in your stomach kind of love. The quiver in your liver kind of love. This is the kind of love that 95% of love songs are written out of. Now, next week they may not feel the same way about that person, but... Right now, I've got this feeling about them. Now, here's the thing. You've got to have both. There will be days when the Eros love will not be there. And it's then that you lean on the friendship love. But at the top of that is one word that's not talked about as much. It, it, it's a word that's important. It's the roof that kind of covers everything, that keeps everything in. You know, if you had a house and you just had the, the foundation and the walls, you'd pretty soon be running into some damage. This week particularly would have been tough on the house, right, without a roof. And what this word is kind of goes right along with agape. It's the word that is hesed. Now, hesed love is the love of strength. It is the love of of, of holding everything together. It's the love that protects. It is another word for contentment or steadfastness. In Scripture, it talks about God's steadfast love. His hesed love. Now, what you do is, if you look at that house, you've got to have all four of those working together for a high-definition love. It's not one part or the other. It's all three working together. To put it in another way, three things that high-definition love includes is, first of all, high-definition love is about decision. One of the things that I love about this verses of Scripture from 25 through 33, speaking specifically to the husbands, is that it tells him to act in commitments of the will, to make decisions to love, to make choices to love. It is a decision. One lady named Janice Abraham Springs says that most people wait for love to return before they'll recommit to the marriage. I say just the opposite. Couples have to recommit to the marriage before their love will return. Here's the truth. You have to make a decision that you're going to love your spouse. Because in those days when you don't feel like loving your spouse, it becomes an act of the will to still love your spouse. In those days when you are acting as, when you know that 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 that, that feeling is not there, that 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 attitude is not there, you've got to make a decision to love. Now, what that means is love is more than just a feeling. It is, and the second part of this, it includes action. It includes action, doing something about it, talking about it, showing signs of it, 
Letting people understand this is who you are. It means that if, if there's something in your relationship that is causing problems, that your action may be to stop doing whatever it is in your relationship that's causing problems, and that's a way of showing love. Even though you may not understand it or understand why it's a problem, you just say, listen, I'm not going to do that anymore because it's causing difficulty. You know, Jesus, when He talked to His disciples, used to tell them that if you love Me, if you truly love Me, then you will obey what I command. I'm not saying that in a marriage relationship there has to be obedience. What I am saying is that what Jesus tells them is you show your love more than you talk about it. Show it. Show action. And then here's the last thing is that it requires commitment. Both agape and hesed have this understanding of real commitment. One of the things that you say in marriage vows is that we will forsake all others. Just another statistic about our culture, that 94% of relationships on TV are between two people outside of marriage. Either affairs or unmarried, but 94%. We live in a world where commitment is not seen as important or necessary. But if you're going to live with God's definition, it is Vital. So the first thing that we see is that if we're going to have a high definition marriage, we must have high definition love. Here's the second thing. We must have high definition forgiveness. High definition forgiveness. Now we're going to talk about this a little more in just a minute, but look at verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What He's saying there is that we as husbands, that we as families ought to love each other in a way that allows us to forgive each other when we mess up. He says that we ought to love our spouses, ought to love people in relationships, just like Christ loved the church. And Christ loved the church so much that He gave Himself for her in order that she might be forgiven. One of the most difficult things in marriage is forgiveness. Now you would think that two people that loved each other as much as a husband and a wife are supposed to would have an easy time with forgiveness. The problem is that forgiveness is so difficult because you live with the person all the time. And for most of us, we really like to hold on to some things in our lives. On your handout and on the screen are some Verses that are important for us to understand, that are important for us to look at when we realize that forgiving is just part of what we do. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Another verse out of uh, the book of Colossians says, Make allowance for each other's fault." You know what that means? Realize you're going to make mistakes. One of the things that I've found in life is sometimes I hold people to a higher standard than I hold myself. It's okay for me to make mistakes because I'm human, but they don't need to. 
Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And then perhaps my favorite verse about this in relationship to marriage and love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. It's one that people talk about all the time at weddings. They, they read that chapter and they read all of those things. But in the middle of that is that verse that says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. And this is a verse of Scripture that I'll use over and over and over again when I'm talking to couples that are getting prepared to be married, when I'm talking from the pulpit about relationships. Love keeps no record of wrongs. What that means is that you don't write down and remember when your spouse or your person in relationship has a wrong so that when it comes back later, you can't bring it up. Here's the thing. A lot of times when couples begin to get in disagreements, one of the first statements you'll hear is, but remember when. And usually when they say remember when, it's not good stuff that follows. Remember when you brought me those flowers that day? Man, that was unbelievable. It's usually remember when you, and then it's something negative. And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about conflict resolution within relationships. But the truth is, when you start digging up the past, you are never moving forward. And some of you in this room, with your spouse, with someone you're in a relationship with, friendships, whatever, you've got a catalog of things you can pull up whenever you want to. And the reason we do that is because it's a defense mechanism. Someone comes up to me and says, you know what? You disappointed me this week because you didn't fulfill your commitment in this area. Yeah, but what about that time you did this and you didn't fulfill your commitment? I'm a, we all, we all, we're all human. We make mistakes. You need to forgive me. And we want to bring that stuff up. Here's the thing. When you're in a relationship, you need to clean out the folder all the time. You keep a short list of accounts and an information technology thing. You wipe the hard drive clean on a regular basis. You keep no record of wrongs. Here's the last thing high definition marriage involves. It involves not only high definition love and high definition forgiveness, but it involves high definition sacrifice. Now, the reason I keep using the word high definition is not just to make the, it go along with the idea of high definition television, but I just think that our world has lessened these words so much that they don't mean what they mean biblically. Our world doesn't know what love means. Our world doesn't know what forgiveness means. And our world doesn't know what sacrifice means. Look back at those verses of Scripture, verse 25 and following. Just as Christ loved the church, gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. What He says is that we need to serve just as Christ did. Now, there's an interesting picture in there. And there's the picture of washing with water through the Word. And that's the idea of baptism. But also, whenever you mention Jesus and you talk about washing with water, there's a picture that comes up. And the picture that comes up is Him on the night before He was crucified, washing His disciples' feet, serving them when they didn't deserve it. 
And part of what living in a high-definition relationship or marriage is the fact that we have to sacrifice our own sometimes in order for the health of the relationship. Look back at verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5. It's on your handout as well, I think. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, one of the things that is controversial, and I said we're not going to cover it today, we're going to just, I'll talk on it briefly, is verses 22 through 24, which is that wives are to submit to their husbands. Here's the reality. That comes right after he tells us both to submit to each other. And I would dare say that there would be very few women that would have a problem being in a relationship, submitting to their husband, if their husband was submitting and loving her like Christ loved the church. And when we begin to focus on one or the other, we miss the whole point. Marriage is not about one or the other. It's about a team. He talks about at the end that a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. And the two will become one flesh. The reality is that when that happens, when you leave, you then cleave. You become one. And so it's no longer about him or her. It's about them. And when that happens, you have to say that I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to go, even if it's not what I would choose, first of all. The truth is that we live in a world where selfishness runs rampant. And as I kind of mentioned earlier, one of the reasons that marriages aren't surviving like they once did is because people are always concerned about not being happy or not being fulfilled. And the truth is, they think, well, I, I'm not getting what I ought to out of this. It's not, it's not what I would have wanted. It's not what I signed up for. It's not how I would have projected it. It's not how I would have planned it. And the truth is, when you talk about that, you're focusing way too much on yourself and not on the two of you. Larry Crabb, who talks a lot about in kind of psychology circles as a Christian counselor, says, the goal of oneness in a relationship can be almost frightening when we realize that God does not intend that my wife and I find our personal needs met in marriage. A few weeks ago I talked about the Jerry Maguire movie. That phrase, you complete me. That's not the goal of marriage. He also wants our relationship to validate the claims of Christianity to a watching world as an example of Christ's redeeming love overcoming the divisive effects of sin. You say, okay, well, if my marriage is not intended to meet my needs, what is my marriage supposed to be? It is to be a high definition video example to our world. When God talks in His Word about what He expects out of marriages or what He expects in His relationship with us, the phrase that He uses over and over again is that we as the church are His bride. And the picture that He uses over and over again is that we as His children are like the ones that are coming together in marriage with Him. Now what He means by that is that we ought to have the same kind of love for Him that we would have in a marriage. And let me tell you the most important Goal of your marriage. Alright? You may write this down somewhere. The most important goal of your marriage is not financial stability. It's not 
precious looking children. It's not carrying on the family name well. It's not fulfilling your needs through another person. The purpose of your marriage is to be a testimony to a watching world. People talk all the time about witnessing and how how do I share my faith. The best way you can start in sharing your faith is being in a high definition marriage. Well, when people look at you, they do say, whether they're afar or whether they're up close, that's the kind of relationship I want to be in. Why? How do you all have it so good? And the answer is that we have because we understand what God's call in our lives is to love and forgive and to sacrifice. Now, it means being real. Those of you that are married out there, are there ever difficult days in marriage? Amen? Now somebody's in trouble this afternoon because they said all of them. They're, they're in trouble. I was over here to my left. Mr. Winsky, I won't mention your name, maybe. There are difficult days. And it means that in the world that is watching, we don't act like... Oh, it's never, never, never a problem. I talked with somebody one time that we were talking to some stuff, and they said, we've never had an argument in marriage. We've been married 45 years. I said, in Greek, they call that baloney. <laughs> I know you have. I saw you last week coming in the church. What are you talking about? There are difficult days, and we're real about it. But what gets us through is that we know that because of what God has done for us, we can love another person. With a commitment, love. There's friendship, there's, there's passion, but there's also just straight commitment. But we know we can make it through, not just because of the high definition of love, but because of forgiveness. And even when they don't ask me, or even when they don't deserve it, that I'm willing to forgive them. And I'm going to keep a short list of accounts. I'm going to wipe that clean on a regular basis so I don't drag it up all the time. And the reason that our relationship is good, even in the midst of very difficult times, is because we are willing to sacrifice for each other just like Christ sacrificed for us. The goal and the purpose of your marriage is to be a testimony to a watching world. And the question is today, are you showing them standard definition or high definition? Would you pray with me? Like I said earlier, I know that there, when you begin a series on marriage and you begin to talk about some of these issues, there always is that reality that in the congregation of people this size, that there are some marriages here this morning that aren't doing very well. And this morning may be a time that God has called you into this place for this message from His Word in order that you may begin the trek of defining and building a high-definition marriage. For some of you in this room, the reality is you're still hurting because you had a marriage that, that didn't last. And while you, you know the, what God has said, or you've heard today what God has said, you, you, it just didn't work out. And... And, and you're here today and you're searching and you're looking. And the truth is, one of the great things about God is, no matter where we've been, He loves us where we are. 
And this morning, let me tell you that if you're here and you're, you're not in a marriage where you, you've had that, that kind of agape, hesed, filio, and, and eros, you haven't had that complete high definition love, that this morning there is a God who more than anything wants to give that to you. Who wants to comfort you whatever your situation, that wants to help you in whatever you may be doing. Some of you are here this morning and you may be in a successful marriage by the world's standards. But perhaps that verse at the beginning we used that all this has been built by your own labor. And it hasn't been done through a relationship with God. And this morning you, you know it's time to come into a relationship with Him, to ask His forgiveness on your life, to ask Him to save you. And this morning, in just a moment during the invitation, you're going to come. I'll just ask you this morning to ask God what He wants you to do. The invitation this morning will be open for, for the reasons that we usually have. If you're here and you need to accept Christ or you've done that recently and you want to make that public, I'll be here at the front. If you're here and God is leading you to be a part of this church, I'll be here at the front. But maybe this morning you just need to come and pray. Pray that God will help strengthen you. Maybe this morning you need to come and pray for somebody's marriage that you know that just needs help right now. And you want to come and pray for them to intercede on their behalf to to help and pray that God would do something in their lives. Maybe this morning just husbands and wives in this place want to come to the front and just recommit themselves to a high-definition marriage. This morning my prayer is that you'll just do whatever God asks you to do. Heavenly Father, we pray Your will will be done in this place. That it will be perfect and that it will be done in a way that glorifies You. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that is in a marriage today. Lord, regardless of their past, regardless of where they've been, regardless of, of what has gone on in the past, Lord, that the marriage they're in today, Lord, that You would, you would help them to commit to a high-definition marriage. Lord, we pray that... What would characterize this church as we serve and work together is those same traits of of high-definition love and forgiveness and sacrifice. And that as a church family, Lord, that you call your bride, that we would be willing to live out that with each other. Lord, I pray that through it all, your name is the name that's lifted high. And that we are your high-definition examples to this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.